morning, everyone. Welcome to Renovation Church. We're glad that each and every one of you have had the opportunity to join us this morning for our live stream event. I believe this is week 10 uh, in this season that we are in, COVID-19. Continue to trust in God, wait for him. And uh, we do this in a way that is just thoughtful of all that you're facing. And uh, know that we're praying for you in this time and that we care deeply about what you're facing. And we're looking forward with hope and anticipation that slowly and progressively we can get back to uh, what we call normal. Thanks for your patience with us. And again, thanks for joining us today. Would you uh, join me in prayer uh, as we go to hear from the word this morning? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are indeed ruling over all of creation. You are, you know what we face. You are in control. You love us. You care for us. And we come to you now as your people, uh, needy and desperate to be fed from your word. Your word says that we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of your mouth. I pray that you would feed your people, glorify your name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, it would seem to me that uh, melissophobia is on the rise. With the advent of the murder bees in the Pacific Northwest, uh, maybe you've seen these articles online, maybe you're starting to get a little of melissophobia yourself. After all, it is the spring, we're starting to do some gardening, uh, and uh, maybe you have uh, a fear of bees. That's what melissophobia is. Uh, I'll never forget when we first got married, my uncle was gracious enough to let us live in his house, and it was the first time that I was even allowed to mow the lawn, uh, let alone want to mow the lawn, and uh, it was my job to mow the lawn, and he had a tractor and a huge lot, and I remember mowing and loving it until the bees attacked, and I found myself cutting mows short, and it wasn't too long that after I was convincing myself that it wasn't long at all. Matter of fact, it could wait another week. And days would go by, and the grass would grow, and I developed a little bit of melissophobia. Uh, Recently, I uh, had another MRI on my foot, and um, I was asked the question, are you claustrophobic? And I said, well, I'm not a big fan of confined spaces, I can tell you that much. I said, well, how how much of my body is going to go in this MRI machine? And they said, just my ankle. And I said, oh, I'll be fine. Some of you may struggle with claustrophobia as well. These are very real fears and feelings that we have. Uh, And uh, uh, some of them are real. Some of them we hear seem a little silly. Uh, Maybe I can point out a few silly ones. And by the way, you can go online and get an A to Z of phobias and you'll be blown away by the amount of documented phobias that there are. Uh, One of them that was interesting to me, and this may be fake news, was kumpunophobia. Kumpunophobia. Uh, Tough word to say, uh, but basically this kumpunophobia was, according to a news article, said that that was uh, influential in the design and production of the iPhone because Steve Jobs had the fear of buttons. That's what kumpunophobia is. It's the fear of buttons. So every time you grab your iPhone and touch that screen, know that it's the result of kumpunophobia. How about this one? And don't laugh at me if I struggle to say it, okay? I've been working on it all week. How about this one? Are you ready? Hippopotamonstrosis quipidelia phobia. 
That's right. I'll say it again for you. Hippopotamonstrosis quipideliophobia. One word. Could you imagine? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you got scared when I said it because it's actually the fear of long words. Who would have thought? The fear of long words. So if you got scared when I said that word, you struggle from hippopotamonstrosis phobia. You get the point. Other fears, uh, if we were to admit, are, are not so silly. Right? The, the fact is that fear isn't really funny at all because it's real. It's experience. Much of what we fear comes from very real threats, some of which are very perceived to be real threats, but nonetheless, in our experience, they're real. They're real-life experiences or maybe even people that present, present themselves uh, to us as enemies, to our security, to our comfort, or maybe even our very life. Today, we live in the age of COVID-19. It's literally become an age, a day when all of our eyes are fixed on what has presented itself as a real threat to the world. It's a global pandemic. Now, I recognize that many of us live on certain degrees of the spectrum about how significant this pandemic is, but nonetheless, it is real. It is global. It has affected all of our lives, and it's changing the way that we live. So here we are in the midst of this season where we're feeling threatened uh, from our ordinary sources of security. Our fears are being exasperated and almost magnified. We've come under what some might call a coronaphobia, documented fear. Maybe that's set in for you. Maybe it's not coronaphobia. Maybe it's something else. But let me ask you the question. Today, are you afraid? Are you scared? Do you struggle with fear? Has fear, based on real threats, grabbed a hold of your life? It's an important question because what you fear governs you. It grabs a hold of you. It influences and drives very much the way that we live and the decisions that we make. If you're living in fear today, whether from COVID or from anything else, the Psalms are going to speak to you today. They're going to give you good news for your fear. They're going to give us insight into the experience of a man that was under intense threat and yet was able to weather it and navigate through it in a biblical way, in a way that honored God and promoted peace in his life. So if you're here today and you're scared, turn your word, or your Bible, to Psalm 27, 1 through 14. Maybe you're not scared, but maybe a threat will come your way that may shake you. This will further equip you to navigate through it well. Psalm chapter 27, verses 1 through 14. We'd love to have you open your Bibles. Uh, this words will be on the screen for you to follow along. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 14. Listen to what David says. He says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter uh, in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He'll lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother and father have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is God's word. And all of God's people said, Amen. David's life is threatened by his enemies. David's life is being threatened by his enemies. You read the context of what's going on in his life, and it's just clear as day. Hits us right square in the face. David's being threatened. He talks about evildoers in verse 2, assailing him to eat up his flesh, his adversaries and his foes. He's talking about an army encamping against him, verse 3. War rising up against him. He's talking in verse 5 that these are days of trouble. In verse 6 and 12, he's referring to his enemies. He even says in verse 10 that the people that you would assume would be there for him, who would be most closely committed to him, had forsaken him, his father and his mother. He talks about not being given up to the will of his adversaries, that false witnesses have risen up against him, liars, and they're breathing out violence. These people have come against David. They threaten his very life in all that he knows and enjoys. Imagine that experience for just a moment. Imagine like this were to happen in your life, that very real enemies are trying to kill you, to take your life. You're on the run. You're looking for comfort. You're trying to hide. You're trying to find safety. And they're constantly coming at you. They wage war upon your life. A whole army shows up at your house and wants to wage war against you. Your parents, the people closest to you, who you think would be there for you, are nowhere to be found. The world around you in all the circumstances are coming at you. You feel the vulnerability of that, and how would you respond to that? You'd respond like any normal human being. You'd be scared. You'd be scared out of your mind if that kind of reality came at you, if that was the kind of threat that you were facing, you would be full of fear. That's the human response to threat, fear. And yet what we see is that David 
experiences and expresses something contrasting to fear. He says, I'm confident. He says, listen, whom shall I be afraid? Of whom shall I be afraid? Who should I fear? The answer rhetorically is nothing. It's no one. He says, I will be confident in the midst of my threats. I will not be overcome by fear. He says the opposite. I will be confident. And the question for us as we interact with, again, not a concept, but with a real experience, as we might consider that in our own life, is how in the world can David be confident and fearless in the face of real threats that come against him to take his life? And he tells us right away, verse 1, right away. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. He says, the Lord is the one that I seek after with everything I've got, verse 4. You see, the defining thing that transforms David's response is the Lord. It's who the Lord is. David knows who his God is. He knows who his Lord is. And he tells us, in the midst of the darkness of insecurity, the Lord is his light. In the midst of his enemies coming against him, the Lord is his rescuer. The Lord is his deliverer. The Lord is his salvation. In the midst of such a force coming upon him with deceit, and abandonment, and, and violence. In the midst of that, he says, it's the Lord that is my refuge. He's my safe place. That's the transforming thing. That If you miss everything else this morning, don't miss this, that it is the Lord, it is knowing the Lord that gives David confidence in the face of real threats. That's for David, that's for me, that's for you. It is your knowledge of God. It's your awareness of who he is that gives you confidence in the face of real threats. He's telling us that it is the Lord that is light, the Lord that rescues, and the Lord that is a place of safety. That knowing who the Lord is is the foundational basis for any confidence in the face of real threats. And if you think back in the story of the disciples with Jesus, uh, fast-forwarding through the biblical narrative, hundreds of years, and you think of that one moment on the boat for the disciples when Jesus is in the bottom of the boat sleeping, and the disciples come under the threat of this great storm and the wind and the tempest coming at the boat, and they just feel the threat and the fear, and they are so confused and even frustrated that Jesus is sleeping. So Jesus awake, uh, comes awake because they wake him up, and he just speaks a word, hush, be still. And the waves and the winds died down, and all was calm at his spoken word. And at that, the revelation of who Jesus was, what do they say? They ask the question, who is this that the winds and the sea obey him? Who is this? We had an insufficient understanding of who he was. We, we, we've come to know and love and trust him, but it was so incomplete. We had no idea that he had the power to speak a word 
and the winds and the waves would be still. If we had only known that, we have never been scared. We would have never felt that threat. But see, David knows his God. He has a sufficient understanding at least to know that in the Lord he has light. In the Lord he has deliverance. In the Lord he has safety. Do you know that today? Do you know God? Do you realize who he is in Jesus Christ? And is your relationship with him the foundation and basis for security and confidence in the face of threat, whatever comes at you? Whether it be health threats and concerns like COVID-19 or any other flu or COPD that my grandmother has been, and grandfather have been fighting for years. And her heart condition that she continues to battle. It, whatever it is, down to tendinitis in my foot, as silly as that is, whatever threatens you, whatever comes at you in a health perspective, do you know the Lord and therefore have confidence? What about unemployment or financial obstacles? Is it the Lord in your knowledge of who he is, in your relationship with him through Jesus Christ? Is that the basis of your confidence? It is for David. How about relational threats? Ten weeks at home with your spouse and your family may have put on display some conflict that just bubbled, but now is blowing up. And now you see one of your greatest enemies is your spouse or your child, or they see each other as such. Man, in the midst of relational threats, is it the Lord that is our confidence? Or are we scared and subject to fear? You see, people that have lost a sense or never known who God is and don't see his glory, his light, his rescue, his safety, people that don't know the nature of their God end up digressing even into destruction and it begins to ruin them. They get gripped by fear and anxiety. They begin to take life into their own hands and they lose a sense of confidence recognizes people who know God that our confidence is in him that he is the basis for all confidence in the face of fear it's the Lord the Lord changes everything how we deal with threats it's knowing him knowing the Lord that we are able to be confident in the face of real threats after all as Paul said if God is for us, who can be against us? What an amazing truth for us in Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. So if you know God, if you know who the Lord is, if you know all that he's revealed himself to be in the person and the work of Jesus, you have every reason to face threats with a sense of confidence in the Lord. And what is the overflow of such confidence? That's what we see in David. The overflow of this confidence, right? He knows who the Lord is. And because that he knows who the Lord is, he seeks the Lord. Because he knows in seeking the Lord, he finds shelter, verse 5 and 6. He's safe, and he's vindicated and victorious 
verse 6. He has the opportunity to worship and praise God in faithfulness. But then you see a shift in verse 7 that goes all the way to verse 12. That this confidence manifests itself in something that often our own sense of confidence does not manifest itself in. You see, confidence is typically seen in self-sufficiency. Confidence seems to show itself that I've got this. I'm strong. We can do this. You hear the positivity in the air in COVID. We got this. We're going to make it. I appreciate the sentimentality. Uh, Negativity surely isn't going to help. But understand, self-confidence is not what we see David have at all. This confidence is in the Lord, not himself. And a confidence in the Lord immediately begins to promote within those who know him and a dependence upon him. That's what we see in David. David's confidence promotes in him dependence. How do we know? Look at verse 7 through 12. It's almost like there's a, a shift in tone from confidence to utter neediness to weakness. To, to high maintenance is David to God. Man, David recognizes, yes, he's confident in the Lord, but man, he recognizes that he does not have what it takes, that he is in desperate need of God. Are you recognizing today, out of your confidence in the Lord, that you have a desperate need for God in the face of all that life brings at you? Not just major threats, but Everything that comes at you, every obstacle in your life, everything that you face, you are completely dependent upon God for everything. Do you know that this morning? That's what David shows us, that the confident man, the confident woman is a dependent woman, a dependent man. He prays, he cries out, he begs God to hear and to act. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me. Answer me. Lord, in in your grace, you have approached me. You've taken initiative in my life, and you've said, seek my face. The Spirit of God is welling up inside me, this desire now to seek you. My heart is seeking you. But here's what I'm asking. Here's my prayer. Lord, don't hide your face from me as I seek it. Don't turn away from me. Turn your ear toward me. Turn your face toward me. What he's praying for is God's gracious favor in the midst of his threats. God's protection, his provision, his gracious favor. Lord, cast me not away. Don't stop helping me. You've always been my help, verse 9. Don't stop it. Don't turn away from me, God. I'm in desperate need of your grace in the midst of my situation. Lord, my father and my mother, I called them. They didn't pick up. I asked for money. They didn't have it. They're frustrated with what I'm doing. For whatever reason, the one most close to me have turned their backs on me, Lord. But, Lord, I'm trusting that as I cry out to you, that you will take me in because I need you. I've got nowhere else to go. In the midst of my struggles, in the midst of the threats, in the midst of the lies, I've got nowhere else to go but to you. You are my only hope. Hear my prayer. You see the change here. From confidence 
to dependence. And I don't want you to see it like one and then two, but I want you to see the connection that true confidence in the Lord promotes in us dependency, not self-sufficiency, not self-reliance. And I think in our twisted sense of what faith really is, faith can leave us to think, oh, I don't need to pray about that. God will take care of it. I don't need to ask God for that. I'm just going to trust that my faithfulness in a given situation will be blessed by God. I'm going to trust in my own work. It's so easy for us to have a twisted sense of what faith is, but we know that somebody has confidence in the Lord if their knees have rug burns on them from hours and hours of pleading with God in prayer. That's what David does. You want to know, do I trust God? In the midst of threats. Well, yes, you trust him if you're depending upon him. Well, we know if we're depending upon God, if we have rug burns on our knees. What I mean is, we gauged our prayer life, at least. That's what David's doing. He's asking for something he knows God will give him. It's part of knowing God. His covenant grace and mercy. He's literally praying for things that the Lord has promised to give his people. That's what we do when we know our God, when we hear his word, when we, when we appreciate and understand his nature in increasing measure. We depend upon God, we hear his promises, and then we pray that God will be faithful to keep them, knowing that he always keeps his word. What an amazing thing for us to see. So I'm going to ask you, where's your prayer life? Are you living in God, spirit, Christ dependence, or are you living in self-reliance? I think we look at our prayer life simply, at least, to be able to gauge that. The frequency, the content, the posture, the, the, the intensity of our prayer life, the urgency of our prayer life, of the thing that you feel that is threatening you the most right now. How much have you prayed and cried out to God for him to hear, for him to act, for him to turn his face toward you in Christ? I think that's an important way. I've always appreciated John Piper's uh, chapter on prayer in his book, Desiring God. And I might get the quote slightly off because I'm going off memory. But he's basically saying that, that prayer is the humble admission. That apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Because that's what Jesus said in John 15 to his disciples. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. You can't do anything apart from me. You can't bear fruit. You can't show yourself to be my disciples. You can't face anything in this life apart from me. You must abide in the vine. And prayer is a humble admission, manifestation of our confession That apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So let me ask you, are you confident in God? Are you dependent upon him? Are you going to God in the midst of your threats because of the dependency that you live in? And I think what we see is there's a progression in this psalm. That this confidence in God, 1 through 6, and this dependency on God in verse 7 through 12 leads him to a place of his, his faith in God is just being reinforced. Really, his hope is being sustained. 
Because remember, he's in the midst of the battle. The threats are coming at him. He's maintaining confidence. He's constantly depending on God as an expression of his confidence. And then that's sustaining his hope so that in the end, he looks in the mirror and he looks at his situation and he says, you know what? In the midst of all this confidence, in the midst of all this dependence, he says, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's what I conclude in the midst of my situation, in the midst of all that comes against me in threats. I conclude that I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Is that your belief today? Based on your knowledge of God and your dependency upon him, do you conclude with David that I shall look upon the Lord in the land of the living? What an amazing thing for us to see the progression that over time, in the midst of these experiences, as he's pursuing God and seeking his face, that he continues to reinforce that hope. His hope in the Lord for all of God's promises to be fulfilled isn't weakened, it's deepened. Maybe that's a simple encouragement for you this morning. That all that you're facing, that all that's coming against you, God is at work in it. God's grace is in it. And he's using it to not uh, disrupt your faith and confidence, but to deepen your faith. Maybe COVID-19 is a 10-week season and beyond that deepens your confidence in God, that deepens your dependence, and all the more reinforces your hope in Christ. This isn't wishful thinking. David's not crossing his fingers. No, the hope that he has to look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of living is rooted in God's covenant promises. He's saying this threat might be coming against me, but it shall not take away the sure and abiding hope that God will bring about every one of his purposes all the way to glory in my life. That even if I die in this moment, I shall live throughout all of eternity. No weapon formed against me shall ultimately prosper. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Ravi Zacharias knew this, people. He understood it. In the face of something that literally ended up taking his life physically. As many of you know, the, the Christian philosopher and apologist died this week. The age of 74, I saw many posts from, from many of you and others on Facebook that the influence that Ravi Zacharias had on us and our thinking and our faith in reinforcing our hope. This was all because it was very real in him. He had confidence in Jesus. He knew the gospel. He knew God. He lived a life of dependence upon him all the way till cancer, all the way through cancer, and now... Because Jesus lives, Zacharias also lives as well. Because he lives, you shall also live. That was the uh, words on the uh, tombstone of his mother. And according to Ravi's daughter, these will be the very words on the tombstone of Ravi Zacharias himself. Because he lives, you shall also live. Because of Jesus, I shall live. Because of the Lord, I can face confidence in the midst of real threats. Because of Jesus, 
death shall not prevail. Because of Jesus, unemployment will not uh, prevail. Because of Jesus, financial difficulty will not prevail. Because of Jesus, every sin that I continue to struggle with, even the enemy inside of me, my very own sin, because of Jesus, my own sin will not prevail in my life. Because of Jesus, my marriage can improve to the glory of God. Because of Jesus, he will protect me in the midst of any threat that would ever come against me. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Do you know this? Do you trust in Jesus? Is your confession in the midst of these threats, I believe? Are you resting today in the faithfulness of God, even though the circumstances around you want to shake you and disrupt your confidence, even though the enemy would seek to steal, kill, and destroy? You know that Jesus has given you life, and because he lives, you shall live. And you can join in the confession of David and say, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. No threat against me can thwart that good purpose of my God. Because we're assured of that, we can hear these words of David. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. See, we don't like waiting. God uses the waiting to deepen. Deepen our joy in him. Deepen our anticipation of him. Deepen our trust in him. Deepen our dependence upon him. Guys, that's what we're waiting. In some ways, these prayers have been answered in Jesus Christ, that the wait is over. That in Jesus Christ, who came into our experience, who faced all that we face, who took on every threat that comes against human salvation and human rescue, and he took on human sin, and he went to the cross, and he died a substitute on our behalf, and he endured all that was necessary to be our light, to be our salvation and secure for us the eternal safety that we long for. Jesus did answer that prayer. And yet more promise awaits for us as the people of God because of Jesus. We still wait. We still wait. Patiently waiting. Trusting in the word. Depending upon his grace. Confidently taking steps in the face of real threats. And I was having a conversation with my wife about this over the last couple of days. And I just got to say, like, it's intense and all over the place, even as I'm communicating this. And, and all the emotion that I felt and is in this text, I want you to feel that intensity of emotion and, and, and confidence and strength. And in the midst of weakness, dependence, I want you to feel the hope of it. But I also want to just live in the simplicity of what this text shows us. This is life. Do you know that? This is the fabric of human life, of living, knowing God, trusting God, having confidence in the Lord, depending upon him for everything. Crying out for his grace, receiving it, living under his protection, waiting glory, 
that's our life. That's everything. The simplicity of just knowing and trusting and depending upon and waiting for God, the God who is our hope. That's just everyday life. And I want to encourage you, like, what's the, what's the application in all of this? Well, you face fear because of the Lord. You face threats because of the Lord. It's all because of the Lord. It's not a seven-step process. It's a person. Like, a person is the remedy for threats. It's God. It's the Lord. It's Jesus Christ, God the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's God. It's knowing Him. It's trusting Him. It's depending upon Him. It's waiting for Him. That's how you face real threats in this life, whether very uh, a small degree or a great degree. One that's just threatening your comfort in the moment or threatening your eternal existence. Whatever the threat may be, whatever degree, whatever season of life, life is just simple. It's knowing a person. It's knowing the one true God. It's trusting in Him. It's confidence in Him. It's dependence upon Him. Going to Him and saying, God, I need Your grace. And then waiting for Him. Trusting in Him. Letting Him deepen your affection and your dependence and your trust in Him every single day of your life. That's how Doreen and I have faced every threat. Just the Lord. Just the Lord. Knowing Him. Enjoying Him. You know, all the health threats that we've felt in the moment. Without getting into detail, just the financial threats, the relational threats in our home, in our family, all that we face. It's like, I don't have seven steps for you, but I have the one true God, just like David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That's all I've got for you, Renovation Church. The Lord. It's knowing the Lord. It's the Lord himself that enables us to remain confident in the face of real threats. So know the Lord. Seek him in his word. He invites you, seek my face. So seek his face. Seek his face in the word. Understand that his face is in the person of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is in the face of Jesus. So if you want to know God, seek his face, seek his word, seek his son, Jesus Christ, and he will reveal himself to you. And then trust him. Trust him. Have confidence in him. And let that confidence lead you to dependency. For apart from him, you can do nothing. Everything that you face, go to God. Hear my prayer. Turn your ear. Be attentive to my cry. Don't turn your face away from me, God. In this moment, in this season, in this situation, I will trust in you. I will hope in you. I will not be self-reliant. I will depend upon you, and I will wait for you to bring about all your good purposes from here into eternity. That's the Christian life. How we face anything. Surely how we face threats. If God is for us, who can be against us? In Jesus Christ, God is for his people. Therefore, all threats are under his, we are under his protection in the face of every threat. Trust in him. Depend upon him. Rest in him. Wait for him.
Father, you're worthy of our trust. You're worthy of our confidence. You're worthy of our dependency. We confess to you now who you are. Hear our prayer. Turn your face toward us. Don't hide, Lord. Don't give us up to the will of our adversaries. Save us from our sins. Thank you that in Jesus Christ you've done this. Continue your work in our hearts. Deepen our faith. Strengthen us for faithfulness. May we trust you through COVID. May we trust you through cancer. May we trust you through uh, difficult marriages. May we trust you in parenting. May we trust you in financial difficulty. May we trust you in unemployment. May we trust you and depend upon you in every aspect of our life, Lord. For you are God. You have good purposes. Have your way and bring us to glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.